0: Therapeutics has developed platform technology to catalog and understand previously undetected human proteins and the role they play in health and disease. By focusing on proteins in the process of translation, the company said it's identified tens of thousands of undiscovered proteins that can provide untapped therapeutic targets. We spoke to Avak Kvejian, co-founder and CEO of Profound Therapeutics, about the company's platform technology, the vastness of the unexplored proteome it seeks to discover, and how this can lead to the development of breakthrough medicines. Abak, thanks for joining
1: us. Thank you for having me.
0: We're going to talk about Profound Therapeutics. It's effort to discover thousands of novel proteins and how this may lead to the development of novel medicines. How large a universe of human proteins is there and how well mapped or understood
1: is that universe? Well, um, at the turn of the century, uh, as you know, and uh, many of your listeners might know, the Human Genome Project completed And the whole purpose of it was to catalog uh, every single base in the human genome and to also finally come up with a complete list of the protein-coding genes in the genome. And uh, at the time, uh, everyone was speculating that there was going to be maybe 100,000 genes or some were saying 20,000 genes. We had some ideas from other organisms namely things like the mouse uh, and some other species and so people were guessing in those ranges and hoping of course that we'd have many more than a than a simple rodent it, it turned out after the the completion that the the team the consortium reported that there were about 20 some odd thousand genes and and that was kind of really bewildering to the community but since then the science didn't really advance much further um, other than to uh, identify maybe variants of those 20,000 protein coding genes. So the number now currently stands at something like around 100,000, but those are mostly essentially variants coming from those 20,000 original sites in the genome that code for proteins. So that's that was the current state of the art uh, when, when we embarked on what became the science behind Profound.
0: This reflects an emerging understanding of the vastness of the proteome. Why did people initially think it was much smaller, and, and how did people come to recognize its true breadth?
1: Well, the, the problem lay in how a gene was defined. So when the human genome completed imagine what you're looking at are strings of A's, C's, G's, and T's. Um, and and you can imagine that there's no real uh, interpretation of those. There are no landmarks to use to determine what a gene is and what a gene isn't. Um, and so one had to come up with some rules to define the regions in the genome that coded for proteins. And the some of the rules that people established were well, we need a start codon, and we need a stop codon. And so imagine those are the capital letters at the beginning of a sentence and the period at the end. And if we see those, then we can assume that there's probably a gene there. Those have to be 100 amino acids apart. They arbitrarily pick that cutoff, um, And we need to see that the gene is similar to a gene that we found in other organisms. So looking for what's called conservation. Those were really the three guiding rules that led to the annotation, the first annotation. And so that obviously was a pretty logical way to proceed uh, because it gave you confidence that, well, if we've seen it in other animals and we see something similar in in humans, it must be real. Um, The capital letter and the period uh, were important because the ribosome needs to see those things to put amino acids in order uh, without stopping. Uh, and the 100 base pair cutoff, uh, as I said, was somewhat arbitrary. But what we've realized uh, since then is that those rules must, uh, must have been quite constraining. Uh, and, and at Flagship, we asked the question, could it be that there are more proteins than meets the eye? Um, and that maybe those canonical rules... Were a little bit too restrictive, and so if you lift some of those rules, for example, you say, "Well, what about things shorter than 100 amino acids? Surely there are proteins and peptides we actually know of today uh, that, such as insulin, for example, that that are shorter than 100 amino acids. Um, why have we set that as the lower limit or the and for for for, for defining a protein?" And then other things like non-canonical start sites. If you will, there are other ways to start a protein and other ways to start protein translation that don't have to begin with the traditional AUG start code hub. If you you expand to using different codons to start the sentence, you actually end up uh, broadening the the landscape even further. And so these were some of the things that we ended up uh, doing combined with novel technologies to actually read the active portion of the transcriptome uh, that is being converted into protein. And through that, we were able to see that there were indeed tens of thousands of additional genes uh, or protein-coding RNAs in, in the genome. And that's what uh, got us so excited about this, this opportunity and the expanded field. You're focusing on proteins in the process of translation.
0: Can you explain what you mean by that and how that might create new opportunities?
1: Well, as you know, in the central dogma, DNA is converted to RNA in the nucleus. That RNA uh, is called messenger RNA uh, because it leaves the nucleus and serves as the message or the template for uh, another conversion step known as translation. And that's where the mRNA engages with what's known as the ribosome. And the ribosome reads the mRNA and uses the codons in the mRNA, uh, three nucleotides at a time, to add amino acids back to back to create an amino acid chain, which becomes a protein. And that central dogma is fundamental to, to life. It's how all proteins get made in every kingdom of biology. So, the normal way people have looked for proteins has either been at the protein end, looking for um, proteins in samples or in tissues or in in, in serum, let's say, uh, in, in circulation, or the other way, which we talked about, looking for the code in the genome. But there's a middle ground where you can actually trap the messenger RNA as it's being translated, as it's being converted into protein. And that arguably, is one of the best ways to find proteins because you don't need to find the protein itself uh, in the first instance, nor do you need to create maybe arbitrary rules to find the blueprint for a protein in the genome. You're actually finding the mRNA and the ribosome in the act of converting to uh, an amino acid sequence. So that's what we call translatomics, the science of identifying transcripts, mRNA transcripts or RNA transcripts that are getting converted into protein sequences uh, in, in real time, catching them in the act, if you will.
0: What's the implication of this from a therapeutic development point of view?
1: Well, first, from a scientific point of view, it allows you to see more proteins than we've ever identified before. And proteins are the building blocks of life every single thing that our body does is done via a protein, more often than not. Uh, the ribosome itself, the machine that's reading the RNA to make proteins, is made of protein and RNA. Enzymes uh, that we uh, uh, use for a variety of biological, biochemical functions are proteins themselves. The, the, every single actor in, the, in human biology is a protein. And more importantly, Every single drug that we take either hits a protein and debilitates it or is a protein itself. And so when you look at the world from that lens, proteins matter and they matter a hell of a lot. And we've been limited to date to the 20,000 protein coding genes. The pharmaceutical industry, the biotechnology industry has essentially focused its entire effort on a subset of the 20,000 protein-coding genes in the body as drug targets or drugs themselves. And obviously, we've come up with amazing drugs uh, thanks to that paradigm. But what if there were more than those 20,000? And that's really the question that Profound is putting forth. If there are more than those original 20,000, that opens up the landscape for new disease targets And it opens up the landscape for potentially new drugs, new proteins that can be bioactive in and of themselves, and we can make and take to cure a disease. Profound was founded by Flagship
0: Pioneering's Flagship Labs in 2020. It was unveiled in May. How did it come about, and at what point did Flagship see this as technology to build a company around?
1: Well, Flagship, as you mentioned, has a unit, which we call Flagship Labs. Uh, We've been originating companies uh, since uh, the 2000s, early 2000s. And the way we do that is by undertaking what we call explorations. We're all scientists at Flagship and we have a deep curiosity in, in human biology and the life sciences broadly and identifying opportunities to build new technologies and bioplatforms that can have an impact on human health, on sustainability, etc. cetera. And we have been conducting explorations in a wide array of fields. Uh, that's led to a number of uh, companies that have been originated completely in-house, where the intellectual property, the science, the founding pioneering vision has all stemmed from our collective effort to ideate, to posit, to make leaps of faith into the unknown uh, and then to reduce that to practice uh, and and, um, move into an inventive step of creating that new technology. So, Profound was no different. Uh, We uh, conducted an exploration uh, into this whole notion of, is there a dark proteome? a collection of proteins we just cannot see with the current technologies uh, at our disposal. And we started to look into things like mass spectrometry, which Flagship has a very long history with, a technology that's used to detect proteins directly. And we saw that mass spectrometry sees a bunch of stuff that we can't really parse. We looked at genomics and we looked at the, as I mentioned, the Human Genome Project and how they applied these arbitrary rules to define a protein-coding gene. And we also have a very long and deep history with mRNA translation, being the founders of Moderna and the company that essentially harnessed that step in the central dogma to create medicines inside the human body. So that's those those that kind of exploration and connecting the dots across the central dogma and the notion that new technologies were available to look for proteins in an orthogonal way, independent of the limitations of mass spectrometry and other proteomic tools, was what spurred us on to actually venturing into not only hypothesizing that new proteins might exist, but actually going to hunt for them. And as we started to do our own analysis, and as we started to conduct our own experiments, it started to bear true. We started to see um, actually signals from biological samples telling us that these proteins, new proteins existed that no one had ever seen before. Uh, And that's what led to the formation of the company and and became the impetus for us to create a broad bio platform to pursue this in earnest.
0: What is the Profoundry platform and how does
1: it work? So the Profoundry platform includes a lot of the things I, I touched on. There is a component of omics technologies, Uh, one particular form is the translatomics platform, the ability to see RNA transcripts being converted into protein uh, and catching them in the act of getting converted to protein. But that's complemented with mass spectrometry to identify the proteins themselves directly. It's complemented with computational tools and DNA sequencing tools um really to span the central dogma from dna to rna to protein and capture that entire biology but what's more once you've identified these proteins you want to understand what they do it's not enough to just see the pieces of the puzzle or to find the building blocks you need to understand where they fit and what their role might be in disease and health and that's where we have additional technologies and capabilities to in parallel query the functions of these things, and perturb biological systems to understand how they may or may not play important physiological roles. That's going to be the key to figuring out whether they should be bona fide targets for drug discovery, or whether they can be drugs in and of themselves. So that's part and parcel of the Profoundry platform. Uh, So you can imagine a number of omics tools combined with computation and experimental systems um, that, that are at a throughput and parallelization that uh, is is required to to tackle this landscape uh, at scale. It's one thing to identify a
0: novel protein. How do you then tease out its function and its potential as a therapeutic target?
1: Well, if you have these building blocks, you now need the tools to perturb the building blocks. So imagine you um, remove one of these things from a biological system or you add them back a biological system these are the kinds of things we're doing and we're doing them in at scale Uh, so some of the tools at our disposal include things like crispr cas9 which can go and quote unquote surgically delete one of these genes from a, a cell and we can then read out how that impacts the cell does the cell grow more quickly does the cell change its behavior and change its its shape does the cell die Uh, And all of those things inform us as to what is that particular protein doing. Now, if you did this one by one, it would take a long time. And so that's where scale and parallelization matter quite a bit. And as we go through these, what we call functional genomics efforts, we then move into a regime where we can start to perturb the systems with the proteins themselves, adding them back uh, and then testing them in animals and so on and so forth. Um, all of that is built in-house uh, and helps us decode their function and how essential they are to a particular pathway, how disruptive they may be to uh, another pathway, so on and so forth. And who are they interacting with? What are these build- the building blocks um, engaging with in- inside the cell, inside, uh, inside the body? And those are, those are all the tools we use to essentially um, identify the smoking gun, if you will, and 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 decide whether or not to prioritize one protein over another for its involvement in, in, in disease. Um, now, we also use a lot of computational tools, and we use publicly available information. There's a lot of information about mutations in the genome and their relationship to disease. We can also come at it that way to figure out which of these particular um, sites in the genome that have before uh, heretofore been ignored, um, we can shed light on those and, and implicate them in disease um, thanks to this new information.
0: You've been able to already use the platform to develop a growing list of novel proteins. What have you been able to find and have any of the novel proteins you've identified provided significant leads for potential therapies?
1: Well, uh, using all the tools that I mentioned, We've identified novel uh, novel enzymes, novel receptors, uh, different kinds of immune modulators. Um, all of these are essentially extensions of the various functions we've seen with the traditional canonical proteome. So that has us very excited that we've identified things that look and feel and act like uh, the proteins uh, that we've, we've all grown comfortable with in in the canonical proteome now the trick is to as as you mentioned figure out which ones we want to start to drug and which ones we may want to use as drugs and so that's the phase we're in right now um, we're 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 seeing similarities we're seeing that these things are um that there's they have uh, a kinship with with the existing uh proteins and that's helping us figure out their function the next phase is figuring out which ones are actionable.
0: In the past, we featured Matthias Uhlen of the Human Protein Atlas on the show. Uh, There are others seeking to identify novel proteins as well. How competitive a landscape is there for what you're trying to do? And is there a race to identify and exploit these proteins?
1: Well, I think we've seen it as a sign of encouragement that the academic community has now uh, gotten excited about this field as well. Um, The ENCODE project, which is a large consortium of various laboratories throughout the world um, to help understand the genome and to help map the genome has started to work on this and to publish on this as well. So yes, we're all going after this vast landscape but we think the landscape is large enough that there's plenty of room for innovation and uh, opportunity. And we're doing it in a way that's much more oriented towards disease, uh, towards finding practical solutions in, in health uh, and applying a lot of tools at scale to, to do that. Um, and so uh, we're, we're actually excited by the fact that this new field of science is, is gaining recognition and, and momentum.
0: There's such a large universe of potential proteins you're looking at. It strikes me that with all this richness, this challenge is really how to, uh, how to prioritize what you will pursue for therapeutic development. How do you go about doing that?
1: Well, part of it is to bring the brain trust of flagship to bear on thinking about unmet needs in the disease landscape and in human health. Um, the other is to think about uh, model systems and which diseases are easy to model in a laboratory, which which cell types are uh, more readily perturbed in the laboratory setting and easier to study. So some of it has to do with uh, having insights and mapping onto the broader opportunity landscape, and some of it has to do with practical considerations for making progress quickly. So. Taken together, that's partly how we've been uh, deciding what to work on and what areas to prioritize over others. What's the business model here? To what extent will you
0: rely on partnering and to what extent will you develop your own pipeline of therapies and how far through development would you plan to take them?
1: Well, as you mentioned, this is a a vast landscape. So we think there are going to be um, things that we do ourselves. Uh, Of course, and when I say that, I mean, take them all the way. Um, We're we're pursuing things that we would want to develop drug drugs against. And we're going to be making some of these proteins into drugs themselves and taking them through the clinic and eventually to market. So we're going to be fully vertically integrated uh, in, in that respect. But at the same time, there is so much opportunity and so many different diseases that one could look at through this lens that we think it's going to be ripe for doing multiple partnerships either within the flagship ecosystem or uh, outside of the flagship ecosystem and we think that different different um different entities organizations with particular interests in a different set of disease uh areas will be will be complementary to the skill sets and technologies that we've brought to bear um, so that we can tackle a broader swath of, of diseases and, and unmet needs uh, as a, through collaborations and partnerships.
0: You mentioned the, the flagship ecosystem flagship has a, a large network of companies. that's backed. What are you doing to leverage those relationships?
1: Well, um, as you can imagine, we're 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 involved in origination across a wide array of bio platforms, biological systems and disease areas. So we are essentially exposing the community here to what Profound is doing uh, and, and engaging in dialogue with all of the various startups that we have in our ecosystem. These startups are, some of them, wholly owned subsidiaries of Flagship and the partners that are leading them or are involved with them are, are my colleagues. Uh, and we sit on the same floor. So there's a really tight connection among the various companies and 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 scientific projects. And so there's an openness and a willingness to cross collaborate, uh, share uh, information and insights and even conduct uh, projects together. We also have a group uh, inside flagship known as Pioneering Medicines. And Pioneering Medicines is um, essentially looking at our Uh, at the broad swath of bio platforms we have at flagship and looking for opportunities to develop drug programs and and uh, and assets out of the out of these companies. And so we're working with pioneering medicines quite closely to identify early opportunities that we may want to accelerate through their platform.
0: Flagship has made an initial commitment of seventy five
1: million dollars.
0: How far will that take you and how are you thinking about raising additional capital?
1: Well, as is always the case, Flagship is the sole financier, if you will, uh, allocating resources to the company to, to prosecute the science, to build the bio platform and to build the, the, the original team. Um, and then thereafter, we'll support the company through its various phases and stages. But we will invite others uh, to come along on the journey with us. Uh, and we've we're, we're going to expose other investors to the science, the, the data we've generated, the new uh, proteins we've identified and the opportunities that they promise, uh, and, uh, and, and essentially raise more money to prosecute those things um, towards the clinic. So uh, that money in and of itself will, won't be the only monies we'll bring to bear on, on this. And so that's, that's, uh, that's more to come uh, in, the, in, the, in the coming year or so. Uh, that'll help us expand our efforts.
0: Avak Kavagjian, flagship pioneering general partner and co-founder and CEO of Profound Therapeutics. Avak, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week.